was all about actually how do we reframe beer in a different way, in a way where it's all about flavour, it's all about the process, it's all about the craftsmanship that goes into it. And you know, it's that was the starting point and it's like, okay, well how far can we can go? Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. We're back. Where'd we go? Nowhere. We've just been super busy uh, driving around the country. Well, we had Camp Carpe Diem, which many of you were at, many of you were not. Um, but that was a and blast. Then we spent a lot of time traveling around, visiting family and friends, and family and more friends, and getting back to Denver, where we've hunkered down for the holidays, right at the perfect time of year where it's going to be sub-zero temperatures, which is really smart when you live in an RV. I don't know if I'd call that smart. You know what's smart, though? I was trying to make it sound smart. What's smart is having beer ready to go when it's cold and you live in an RV. And we have that. We do. Ooh, we can talk more about the beer, Christmas beer, at the end of the podcast. How about that? Because I have a couple of things I wanted to say about Christmas beer. The one I'm drinking? Yeah, we can talk about that later, too. Fine. Maybe we should talk but about... But I'm not going to wait to drink it. You can drink it now. Yes. some good stuff and it's Christmassy. All right, you've got your beer. Happy person, right? We're gonna Heck yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, we're going to talk about Christmas beers a little bit after the podcast, so make sure you listen all the way through. But we do have a guest on our podcast as usual. Well, most times we have a guest on our podcast, so we're excited to have a guest on this one too. Yay. That's true. Yeah, and it is Martin Dickey from Brewdog. We're excited to talk to him. He was actually a very fun interview, <laughs> a really fun interview. And okay. What? So probably we should just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Yeah. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of brew dog in the news lately. If anybody's been pay- paying attention to beer news and brewery news, um, a lot of controversy around brew dog and they're. To be honest, there's always been a lot of controversy since BrewDog started. That's kind of um, their marketing strategy has been to create controversy, I guess, and shake things up. And you'll hear about some of that marketing tactic stuff like um, in the podcast. But So sorry to interrupt, but there are some like I know that's what you're trying to, to get to say is that there are some issues going on that are outside of being silly marketing tactics issues such as how employees were treated and in a pretty pretty serious manner there's a lot of serious allegations that do need to be addressed and we just want to acknowledge that we are aware of those but on that same note we also want to like still talk to the other people that are in the company and people you know are all still working hard in the company and we don't want to discredit Brewdog in its entirety. So when we had the opportunity to sit down with Martin in the middle of annual general mayhem or AGM or uh, stockholders meeting or air quotes party. (laughs) Full transparency. We are equity for punks. We are. So, yeah. 
So make of that what you will. We. <laughs> what should they think of it? I think. I don't know. They can. Anybody can think whatever they want. What should they think about it? I think it's an excuse to go have a party at AGM. That's a good thing. Although <laughs> AGM is open to the public too, so it's really not that exclusive. Anyhow, we jumped at that <laughs> chance to be able to sit down and talk to Martin because you know he was willing to tell us his story about growing up in a um, another air quote thing fishing village in Scotland. You'll hear the argument about that. <laughs> As he said, I still feel right about that one. I'm sorry, but I feel like I won that battle there. I just yeah. it's a fishing village, farming village. Farming, fishing village. I don't know. Regardless, he grew up in Scotland, <laughs> and it's really kind of cool hearing his story um, and just how he... Built one of the biggest craft beer companies in the world and had fun doing it. Yeah. So the whole premise, I guess, kind of thing is around, like, the punk attitude. Um, oh, from ooh, day one. Absolutely. He has a quote that you'll hear, and I love the quote. Yeah. Why can't beer be whatever your imagination wants it to be? So that actually culminated into some of the biggest, highest ABV beers in the world. And it culminated into strange marketing tactics of like dealing with squirrels in beer. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Didn't make Peter happy. But, <laughs> but, but that question, <laughs> I think, is something that we can all, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the premise of it was when it was started, is literally that. I'm going to repeat it again because I think it's cool. Why can't beer be whatever your imagination wants it to be? You know, the whole Ryan Heitzkenbot thing is really great in all, because it is in Germany. Yes. And like staying true to the classics. Wow. But it is because a lot of breweries are now going back towards the classic styles and the clean, crisp styles and not having all the adjuncts and the high ABVs and all the different hazy IPAs that are, by the way, whether you like it or not, here to stay. Um, but you can also have it on the other, the way other spectrum of doing whatever you want to, to create a beer that your imagination wants it to be. There's room for both. Sure. Absolutely. I, I think there's totally, that's the great thing about beer is like, it can be whatever you want. Yeah. It can. And that's, I realize I just regurgitated his quote, but. <laughs> Maybe before you but it's regurgitate true. other things, we should let Martin start talking. I'm not regurgitating nothing, baby. Except that quote. <laughs> Here's Martin. And stick around to the end because we'll talk a little bit about Christmas beers because this is going to be going out right before Christmas. And if you're listening to this way later, just enjoy it. All right, cheers. Start with the cheers. 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 Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast. We are actually here with, I don't know who, no, I'm just kidding, Martin <laughs> from BrewDog. We're super excited to be here. Yeah. Um, why are we here? Because we own the company and we, we own, have the right to be here. We own Living a Star Life. We have, okay, no, we do not own BrewDog. However, yes, we do. Oh, we do. We are equity for funds. We own this much of it. Okay, I like that. Cool. So technically, <laughs> technically, you're my boss. Oh, <laughs> exactly. dude, it's shit. Like, <laughs> see, now you know how we got this. We landed this interview is because we said, "Hey, look, we do a podcast, and we own your company, so you're going to be on our podcast." Okay. And everybody just jumped. I like that. <laughs> we have that much power. Anyhow, Martin, do you want to? I don't know. I don't. We think you're kind of cool. Do you? think you are? Uh, now, like a now, I do. Now, now you do? Yeah, sure. I like that. Yeah, Come he's on. on a podcast. He's yeah. famous now. I know, that's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think, Kenny, you should kind of start with a very brief story of how we kind of basically fell in love with BrewDog. 
Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know, BrewDog is a craft beer company that started out of Scotland, wow, 15 years ago now. 15 years ago, yeah. 15 years. And I first found BrewDog by watching a TV show that you and your partner James did called The Brew Dogs yeah. on the little known Esquire network in the United States. Like, I thought it was a big network, Esquire. That's no. what they told us. It's a big magazine. <laughs> That's what they told us. It was a big magazine, <laughs> but when it was a, a TV network here, it was like, and and so this is 15, well, it wasn't 15 years ago, so it was 10-ish years ago, maybe? Yeah, about 10 years ago. About 30, 10 years ago? Probably 13 onwards. Okay. And so at that point, everybody was still mostly on cable television. You yeah. know, we didn't have so much streaming yet. And it wasn't something that everybody had just naturally. So how did you manage to find the Esquire network and tune into I have no idea how I, I found it and I don't know how I found the show. But you fell in love with the show because of like how the, the very um, unique ways that you started, that you guys were brewing the beers and how you went out into nature to do all that was really like... Yeah, I was, you did a really creative show on brewing beer, which is like, where's what's the craziest weirdest way we can brew a beer that's local to an area yeah and, then and a style that's local to an area somewhat or, or ingredients that are local ultimately what i was trying to get him to is we went to a trip um to edinburgh to actually he has a t-shirt on right now download 2016 okay. we went to a trip to do that festival with our youngest kid at the time and then we knew BrewDog was in the area somewhere in Edinburgh, but we like randomly picked the street like let's get off of the tourist area and let's go down this street and so we just turned down this street and we're driving, just walking down the street and all of a sudden I'm like, dude, I'm like smacking him in the arm. <laughs> BrewDog, BrewDog, BrewDog. <laughs> so we actually got to experience BrewDog in Scotland for the and first time. actually taste the beer for the yeah, first and time it was after really being great. a fan for a few years. So what we kind of want to know is though you grew up basically in a small fishing, fishing village. No. In, no? No. You still grew up in Scotland. I grew up in Scotland. Fine. You Scotland, in Scotland as a whole isn't a fishing village. <laughs> you said that. Are you sure about that? No. <laughs> Not the entire country? Okay, no. the, okay part of it, it, was, it part was. of it's a distillery. Wait, 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 wait. Can I just say that we've had too much beer to drink at AGM already? So we can just say you grew up in Scotland. Tell us the story. But you're, you're right. Well, you're kind of right. Because um, I went to school in Peterhead, which is like one of the biggest white fish ports okay. in the world. So... Fishing village. Fishing town. Um, but James, my partner, mm -hmm. grew up in a fishing village. And his family are fishermen. Actually fishermen. And he was actually a fisherman at times. He right? was a fisherman too, yeah. But we're talking to Martin. So, so what's your story? Oh yeah, my story. Um, yeah. Where did you grow up in Scotland? Just in a, Doing what? a little village in between fishing towns. <laughs> Fishing village. So well, we weren't on the coast. <laughs> Inland, it was like a farming village in between fishing towns. And um, I, I guess from my side, it was, you know, my mum was a teacher, my dad was in uh, HR in one of the oil uh, companies in, in Aberdeen, which is the nearest city to where we were. So mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like a famous uh, oil town, city. Um, but yeah, I guess just a pretty regular upbringing. But we went to Orkney when I was about 10, I think, um, which is the little um, fishing island off the top of Scotland. 
See, it always centers back to fishing <laughs> somewhere, to though. Fishing. Uh, so well, it's more of a my research wasn't fully up. I'll try to focus better. Um, okay, so there's two groups of islands off the north of Scotland. You've got the Orkneys and the Shetlands. Okay. The Orkneys is where I have some family members and the Shetlands, which are even more remote. We have some family members up there as well. But we went to Orkney, which is where my mum's side of the family have you know, cousins and stuff. So like, you go to the island and like, probably two-thirds of the island is related to you in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went there when, when we were 10, I think. We went twice, it was like 10 and 12. I think. First time we were 10. And we went to Highland Park Distillery, and that was the first distillery that I ever went to um, as a as a as a kid, and for me it was like a super strange but exciting experience because they show you around the whole thing. They had a small Maltins on site, and and um, I should explain better. My mum's side of the family, her 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 parents and, and brothers are farmers. My dad's uh, mum and dad were both doctors. Um, my, my dad's dad was dead by the time I was born, but my grandmother from his side was a, a retired doctor when I was at that age. Um, and there was like that weird thing of they were taking barley malt and turning it into whiskey. And I was like, mm. and barley malt, I was like, well, cool, that's what my uncles grow. That's what sit in the okay. com- gets sit in the combine over the summer and harvest that. And then my uh, grandmother <laughs> you know, was a, a big advocate of uh, whiskey. It was like some kind of weird thing in my, in my mind. It's like it's, it was almost like a destiny job, and that one side of the family grew barley, and the other side drank whiskey and gin. And it's like okay, I need to be that almost that sort of middle piece in the puzzle. And visiting that distillery up in up in uh, Orkney was incredible. It's like it's, you know, mm. big copper stills, all this kind of barley sprouting in the floor. And at the end of it, you get the, the cool bottles of, of scotch that, that were the same mm-hmm. bottles I'd seen in my grandmother's house. So you house. knew at that point. So that was like that's a, kind of the seed like that the seed was kind of planted there. Gin cheek in that that it's like cool. Like I don't know. I didn't know what a distillery was before. I was like, this is amazing. I want to be a distiller in Orkney when I'm big. So you really oh, knew wow. as a kid you wanted to be a dis- at least a distiller, if yeah. not a brewer. No, a distiller, 100%. But you wanted to be a distiller. I wanted to be a distiller. And, and so um, once I got a few years older at high school, then um, I saw that there was a brewing and distilling program at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. And then you've, you know, you've got all the, the sort of parents' evening when you're kind of at that sort of 16, 17 age at high school and you, you, you come in and you've got the guidance teacher saying, well, he says he wants to do distilling, you know, that's kind of not a normal thing. You're yeah, right. Close How to does Aber- a guidance teacher handle that? Close right? to Aberdeen, <laughs> you should be an engineer in the oil industry or, you know, you're okay at, at um, science. So, you know, I remember a chemistry teacher sort of pulling my mum aside um, during that school visit and saying, you know, why is your son saying he wants to be a distiller when he could have a sort of pure chemistry degree at St Andrews University, you know, a reputable university mm-hmm. and not Heriot Watt University. Like, oh, 
basically a fancy polytechnic and he's mm. doing something obscure it's like get a proper degree <laughs> and one day he could be a teacher like me in this school yeah uh, and and you know I have to thank my mum so much in that it's like she just said you know if that's if you want to be a distiller then go for it you know we'll support you as much as we can but uh, you know do what, do what makes you happy um, so that was the route I chose everyone else went to be that I went to sort of pure set was university to be an accountant or an engineer or yeah. the, the standard right. six uh, options and you're normal this, you're this weird, <laughs> weird guy that's a way to to try and follow a, a distilling dream that kind of no one yeah. really knows what that is so on that note, I can kind of see where the punk attitude comes from. However, I can also see like where it doesn't come from because your your parents or your mom's like pushing you along to do the thing that you want to do, and you're following kind of in your family footsteps. So that doesn't seem kind of this like punk against the green attitude. Mm -hmm. So where honestly did that kind of punk attitude that Brewdog is really known for come yeah, from? Yeah, sure. So I mean, I, you know, I went through that distilling program or brewing and distilling program, and that that was. Part of the, the beauty of that program is it's brewing and distilling, and mm -hmm. through that four-year course, um, I kind of got more into the brewing side because you're, you know, you, you, they've got some cool equipment that you're making beer on one week and you're making spirits on the other week. And the kind of issue with the spirits is you'll do something and make something or do something different. It's like, well, how you know? When do I find out what the difference is? And it's like, well. Can't because then it's to go into wood for six years. Or years. Or <laughs> yeah. Whereas in, in the brewing <laughs> side, it's like okay, well your change, we'll taste it in three weeks' time once right. it's fermented and ready to yeah. go. Yeah. And we used to have so many cool um, on a when on a Wednesday um, afternoon there was like the tasting sessions of I guess our year and then the two years above as well from their brewing experiments. You do like standard brewery taste panels, you know, true to brand, the triangle test and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> the kind of weird thing yeah, in the back of that was, it was like, it was it was fairly liberal at that early stage and like you were there, did your test and then you kind of just stayed there the rest of the afternoon. It was like a Wednesday afternoon, so it was when all the sport happened and kind of cut short at lunchtime in universities and all the guys at the sport were playing soccer or um, right. rugby in the afternoon, mm -hmm. whereas the Bruin guys were just sitting in this... Uh, little lab area drinking beer <laughs> and, just drink it out. And, 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 and it was actually like our year was the last year that they allowed to, to, to kind of have this free reign over the things <laughs> A guy. So what happened there? Something. I, yeah, I just see the look I, on your face. Something there, happened. There was a few I things happened, but I mean, one like, one story this. was that there was this guy uh, who cycled from Edinburgh, so it Watts in the outskirts of Edinburgh, and it's like maybe um, five, six miles from the the town centre. And there's this okay. guy lived in the town centre and he would cycle out along the canal out towards Harriet Watts. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> he did, he did the, the beer tasting that afternoon which can, ended up at like started at 12 and ended at 4 or 5 yeah. and oh. then he cycled home and he, he ended up in the canal Oh. Uh, and, and it, it was you know a couple of weeks of these kind of stories <laughs> came out to some of the uh, whatever, the teaching assistants and then made its way up through to some of the lecturers and the, the more principal people there and, and so yeah, that was the last year of, the fun. of uh, 
last year of those things, but it was an incredible group of people. You know, the guys in my class were from you know, all around the world. Greek guys, American guys, Canadian guys, Finnish guys, some Scottish people. So it was a, a, a totally, um, I guess, group from around the world, which was right. super fun. And, and part of, I guess, part of the excitement I, that I felt in the brewing scene was that like, all these people were being sent from around the world to study beer, but sent to Scotland. It was, mm. I guess it was you know, that sort of centre of excellence, but it was a great way to meet people from all different con- uh, countries and cultures quite early on. Um, so yeah, that was university. Yeah, so I mean, I guess that was the turning point. University was, was where I said, okay, I don't want to be a distiller anymore, I want to be a brewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then that was like, okay, well, now that you want to be a brewer, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And I guess in graduating, it's like, I just need a job. It doesn't matter where right. it is. You know? <laughs> and I guess you're trained through that process to be a, a you know, to, to be a candidate for a macro brewer. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, it's all um, the education program is based on, or was at that point, it was back in 2000 to 2004, was based on sort of lager brewing right. uh, on a large scale and distilling on a large scale. And so we got to uh, graduation and you're like, okay, I need a job. So I everywhere I could to start with. And it's like, okay, Miller Coors, they're an awesome program down in Burton or Trent, you know, the biggest brewery in the UK. And I got interviewed there. And then I was like, I was like one of the top two guys in the class that got like, a, there's only two, two people got first in that year. Um, and I was like, great, hopefully I can get a job in this big brewery in Burton and Trent. So I interviewed and it's like, declined for a job. It's like, how can we decline for a job? It's like, you just don't have a, um, you, know, you don't have a, a sort of managerial uh, approach, very little experience, you just don't, you don't it's that, seem that, like that circle that you get stuck in when you graduate, you like, you want the jobs, you have the experience per se, for university, but yeah. then you don't have the experience that the real world wants, yeah. and it's yeah. like you can't get the experience because you just graduated, yeah, it's, it's just like, like stuck exactly. circle. It's like, where's your practical experience? Yeah. I've, I've just been learning for the last mm. four years, it's like, well, okay, so, uh, yeah, I didn't get the job, and they're like, you don't have management experience, you look like a kind of pretty rubbish leader. <laughs> and I was like, fine. Uh, so then I was like, okay, I need a, I need a job. So I, I pretty much applied to every single um, microbrewery in the UK in England. You know, there's, there's a few in Scotland, but there's a lot in, in England. That I mean, it's probably um, two, what, 250, 300 breweries in, okay. in the UK at that point. Did you get shot down at every 200, like all the 250 breweries? Well, I sent my CV to everyone. Um, That's like kind of disheartening <laughs> like stomps you to the ground yeah I, I mean it's, it's hard but it's like well you know you've graduated and you need to work yeah. and you, you've got a very limited skill set <laughs> so it's like what right. you need to do it's either either I go back and work at McDonald's which I've done like you know in previous years or I need to find something that's specific. wait that's the same opportunity or option in the UK as it is in the United States McDonald's go work at McDonald's yeah. <laughs> first job no don't do it standard, you know I think everyone's kind of done that yeah um, so it's like okay I sent it out to everyone and then um, there was one brewery down in England which had just won the I guess the equivalent of the you know, the, the sort of American Brewing Awards, it's like the, the, mm-hmm. the GABF, which is right. the, the you know, 
Great American no, beer. No, this is a GBBF. Great. Yeah, so the equivalent of a minute. It's a Great British Beer Festival. Right? Okay. So it's down in London every year, and it's, and it's basically like a camera-focused event of cast beer mm-hmm. for the UK, which is, um, you know, it's, it's a, a, a big accolade to hold, you know, if you win that. Right. And you're in a microbrewery, and it's 2005, you know, you're kind of the bee's knees, so this brewery in, in, in the middle of England in Sheffield, uh, Kellam Island won 2005 for their beer Pale Rider, which was 4.5% pale ale using Willamette hops, which is kind of a little bit weird because not many people were using American hops back then. That's okay, applied. So I went down to meet the guy, a guy called Dave Wickett, who was super interesting guy, he was like an economics lecturer in Sheffield University, had this little brewery and pub called the Fat Cat, which is like a, a super well regarded um, cast beer bar, uh, and then he, ha- he had, I can't remember where in America, but he used to come out to America a lot, and, and he had a bar out in America as well. Okay. So he was exposed to like some of the American um, craft beer scene that was going on in Sort of, I guess for him, for him, like late late nineties into early two thousands, and he's like, kind of liked what he saw, but at the same time he loved that um, traditional English cast Mm -hmm. beer stuff. Uh, So he's like, okay, well, we've got a job here, but there's also this new brewery that I've partnered up with that's fifteen miles away. It might also be interesting for you. Um, So then, this was. 2005, so he like, wrote the directions on a piece of paper. It was dark in, in uh, November evening in, uh, in England, mm-hmm. raining um, down. And he's like, these directions you get to this gate, this big gate, and you press this button, you have to speak to Jim. So it was like, okay, I went off on this journey <laughs> down these like, English roads, um, single track roads through half of it in the, in, the, uh, in the Peak District, going from Sheffield to uh, just outside Bakewell, which is like a little town uh, there, and then got to this big, found eventually found this big gate, and I was like knocking on the gate, and I was like, it's, it's pointless, there was a keypad there, keypad, I got in, uh, in, into the place, and it's like this massive country state house, and uh, the guy who came out was a guy, Jim Harrison, kind of slightly eccentric looking guy, long hair, Welcome to Thornbridge Hall, and then we went from there to so just start this little brewery project with uh, with the guy from Kellam Island. Uh, come, you know, come and have a look. You know, we, we don't have any any staff yet, but you know, we're kind of we just bought this big fancy hall, uh, and I'm going to redo it all up to its former glory. We'll have a nice Victorian garden. We're going to have um, you know, uh, 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 basically becoming like a New Age English gentleman in the middle of the <laughs> peak district, wow. um, and he and he had this joiners workshop. And he said, "I've always wanted to, uh, to have a brewery in 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 the estate." So he rebuilt a joiner, fallen down joiners workshop into a into a little brewery, a little ten hectolitre system. Okay. Uh, you know, two vessel, uh, single infusion mash kettle, uh, and then there was like four. Fermenters, maybe two. I think it was four fermenters, and then um, sort of that traditional 
English microbrewery mm-hmm. thing of, of old uh, Grundy tanks, which are like the five barrel tanks that used to sit in pubs. Mm-hmm. And then people would take, when they got taken out of pubs, they would then be cut in half and extended to twice their size. Oh, wow. like <laughs> these sort of cut and shut 10, ten barrel um, bright beer tanks in a cold area. And nice. it's like, this is what we're doing. We want to produce our own beer. We're doing a bit of contracting for Kellam Island at the moment. And then I, a week later, I got offered the offered the job there. So I was like, "Cool, let's let's do it." And the rest is history. So that was, I guess <laughs> that, was that was the start of my <coughs> professional uh, yeah. brewing career for sure. Well, so that was probably good to come in on that level where it was a business that was just getting started. So <laughs> you got to see a lot of that that you could then once you and James started BrewDog, it's like you could apply different things to that. And, yeah, I mean... And it, see what you wanted to do, what you didn't want to do. It was, it was exactly approach. that. It was, it was, you know, I was there for two years, and it was like two years of learning, you know, learning how to make beer, learning how to sell beer, learning how to pack beer, learning how to make up little cards for sales sheets. It was... It was Phoning the people for sales, it was right. picking the casks back up, washing them. You know, it was, it was everything. It was a tiny little team. I was the first, the first official brewer. There was a, a, a sort of guy, Dave. Um, he would come and help out a day and a half a week, and then within a few months, we had the second play guy, Stefano Cossi from Italy. So basically, it was two young a guy from Scotland and a guy from Italy kind of <laughs> left, left loose to to make great beer. You know, and, and it, was, cool. it was basically that. It was like carte blanche, just make great beer, uh, and, and that was what we did, or tried to do anyway. And yeah. you know, we, I remember early on in that in that first year, we were lucky enough to have contact with Garrett Oliver of mm-hmm. Brooklyn Brewery, uh, yeah. and we did this, sort of, I guess, a very early collaboration of 2005, uh, where we took. His beer uh, blast, I think, which is like at that time was their big double IPA. Okay. And we tried to sort of recreate a UK American mm-hmm. version of what this could be. So then you know, we're looking with the hop supplier Charles Farham uh, in the UK of like what, what American hops can we get and how do we mm-hmm. how do we make make use of them. Uh, so that, that was probably like some of the earliest experience of, I guess, being exposed to not American beer, but American hops in their sort of raw format and understanding of what an Atanum was, what Willamette was, what a, um, Crystal was, uh, you know, Cascade. Cascade Chinook, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't like Simcoe's and Citrus and Mosaics, it was like some of the the earlier stuff but right. all of a sudden when you're using a Challenger or a Fuggles or a East Kent Goldens or, or you know some of the European hops as well you're like shit this this smells different this is yeah. like this is like a different it's league a strong, of hop yeah do you see a big difference in, between like the beer drinkers from like you know the UK and mm. from here and what they want in each of your bars sure um, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. So, I mean, I mean, what, what I guess what we did in that original brewery was, we we eventually uh, in that first year came up with a, an IPA called Jaipur, which was um, five point nine percent IPA, and that was that was using American option. I had some 
um, some Chinook and it had a tannum. I can't remember what else was in that original recipe, but pale malt and then just a lot of hops. And that was the beer that kind of turned uh, or made Thornbridge Brewery. It was this Jaipur. Which was, so so uh, the guy that owned the estate had a connect. I think he was married in Jaipur in India okay. uh, to his wife, so he had a huge connection to India. So it was like IPA was was awesome for him, and the, the I guess the original interpretation of IPA being you know, big English beer that was transported to to India. What we then were able to do is like, well, let's make it the modern interpretation and you load it with the American hops like they do in San mm-hmm. Diego mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so that beer was like super transformative in, in that area where you know people were drinking best bitter at 4% or 4.3% yeah. um, and, that, and that was basically a mild best bitter and you know maybe an, an English pale now and again but that, that was roughly the beer market um, mm-hmm ranged from 3.8 to 4.5% alcohol and all of a sudden we're coming out and selling this beer at 6% alcohol, you know, 60, uh, 60 IBUs, uh, loaded yeah, with American like, hops. Wow, in, a in big, a, bold beer. Right? In, a, in a cask format. Oh man. And uh, it's like, shit, what is that? And, and there was like so many, and also like probably about... 50% price premium over everything else in the market as well because mm. they were all like yeah. 35, 40 pounds a 9 gallon firkin at that point and we were like, it needs to be like 65 otherwise we just can't even cover right. our costs uh, so we are totally like tearing the market to pieces with this new beer um, but people would try it, you know, the, the landlords in that area were like super receptive they're like, you know, great new business We'll give a cask a go, see what happens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get stories of, you know, people go in and on a Thursday evening to have their usual six pints in their local pub in the Peak District, and then they'd like disappear and be seen like three days later. Because <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden they're drinking this six percent IPA rather than their three and a half percent beer. Yeah, it's a big difference. That's yeah. a big change. And, and then you guys obviously took that kind of your experience from that and applied it. 100%. To Brewdog, where like your first beer out of the gate's a big, yeah. I mean, for that time, a big IPA. And for sure. Then, I mean that. I mean that. That was the key for us. Was is like, shit. We love this, amazing, stronger in terms of, I guess UK comparison, beer that loaded with flavors. Like, why drink something that has the taste of nothing when you can have these incredible beers? And and for us at that time, you know, our early time in Brewdog was all cast beer a little bit of bottle beer um, and you're like well wh- why why do I have to drink the, the alternative which yeah. is yeah. which isn't which especially in Scotland it was even worse in Scotland you know in England you had a nice sort of uh, micro brewing scene in Scotland and where we were in the northeast of Scotland there was nothing you know so I was working there for two years and I, like I loved working there but there was something saying you know I need to do this mm-hmm. myself like yeah. I can't. I can't work for other people. And yeah. like, can I do this? I like, no, you can't. But you can do this. I said, like, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, You're now one of the big names behind one of the big breweries, and starting to be in the U- U.S. as well. In the Brewdog, like, do how often do you actually get to do hands-on brewing? And if it's not that much, do you miss it? How has that kind of changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, in terms of. of 
to answer your question, I think as you know, the, the brewery now is in general with, with all with all parts of the business is over um, you know, a million hectoliters in size and um, <laughs> you know, the majority of my time at the moment is overseeing some of the big projects that are going, like our AD planter, um, you know, new brew house in Scotland and, and um, our cannon line as well as hop harvest at the moment. So, you know, I hands on brewing is not a lot if you know, if ever at the moment. Yeah. Same with distilling as well, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's another part which which is super uh, I guess close to my heart with our distillery that we have in Scotland and the small one here as well. But um, I guess the beauty of where we are is that you ha- you just have to build a team of people that are better than you and, and can do things better. And, um, you know, our, our brewing guys are awesome and JK who runs our UK brewing site is ten times the brewer I'll ever be. Um, but the beauty of working like that is that I get to give him my stupid ideas and you know, it's that discussion and <laughs> that discussion and it's like, you know, what what, what can be done? Because um, I think you know, James and myself are both sort of pretty opinionated on certain aspects and how we want it to look mm-hmm. and be or feel or how we can be better. And that's the key as well, I think, as brewers is like you can just never really be satisfied with with I think with what you've made there's always like how do we make it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is which is really important. It's really important but it means that you're on that never ending journey of trying to get to perfection. So you you don't know when yeah, you hit it. <laughs> Maybe you go too far and it starts to go yeah, down. But go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So for you, has that like Brewdog has grown to such a size that you're you're probably not going to ever be a brewer again. <laughs> at, at least not as a job. I mean, if you want to brew, you can brew. But has it been interesting for you, or maybe even more stimulating than if you stayed a brewer? Because now you you do something different. You like you're building a business that that you have to be in charge of all these different people and and you don't do everything you're not hands-on on everything but it's a different challenge for you than than if you had continued just brewing beer for the rest of your life yeah I mean it's definitely an interesting journey you know when, when we started Brewdog in 2007 it was you know, James and myself and and his dad's dog you know that, right. that was it so that was 100% hands-on everyday brewing packaging Everything. Moving, moving <laughs> stuff, and you know, J- James at that time was uh, uh, f- he was still a fisherman and, and you know, getting his captain's ticket. So he was, he was, uh, I guess, a lawyer to education, and then decided after a week that um, he didn't want to be a lawyer and he wanted mm-hmm. to be a fisherman. And that was, you know, he went back to be a fisherman. At the same time, he moved to England to be a brewer. So he would come down and check out what we we're doing down there. And say, I need to get out of here and I need to do my own thing. It's like, well, I've got plenty of time when I'm not fishing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I love beer. Maybe we can do it together. And it's like, great, let's do it together. So, you know, that that was the, the way it started. And, and then you've got that journey from 2007 to where we are in 2022, uh, which, which has gone from us doing everything to our first employees to moving brewery from Fraserburgh to Ellen and 
2012, 2013, and you know that was like, I guess in terms of the initial um, ambition, dream. You know, my dream was always to have an incredible looking brewery that was semi-automated. You didn't have to mm-hmm. pull the grain out, you didn't have to load it by hand <laughs> in the top. You know, those, those early days were you know, super hard in terms of like manual work. Also, yeah. like you know, a little bit dangerous as well in terms of what you were doing. You were lifting malt bags up to top to load it in, mm-hmm. and it's fine if you're doing it yourself. But if you're asking like your employees to do the same, then that's that's not so cool. Um, so we've always had a big focus on as we've grown as a business, making sure we were, I guess, de-risking the jobs that were being done. And and so yeah, that was. 2007, where we are today, I think is is uh, you know we have a great team in every brewery that we have of uh, you know health and safety, and making sure that we're looking after each other and, and and I guess calling out safe practices. So like the best example currently is massively off topic, but like <laughs> best example currently is I've got a pair of like Puma trainers with steel toes, right? Uh-huh. And so I walk around the brewery in Ellen and I constantly get called out for wearing trainers in the brewery. <laughs> and they don't realise it's safe. But they're steel toes. But they're steel toes, right? Cool. But um, the beauty is that every time the plant manager says, Martin, why are you walking in the brewery and trainers? And it's, like, it's not trainers, it's like steel toes, but no one knows that. But they constantly, it doesn't matter who you are in the business, they'll call you out they if you're, you if out. you're, if they look like, if you look like you're operating unsafely, they'll call you out. And you know, that's what we've tried so hard to get is that it doesn't matter who you are in the yeah. business. If you're in a place where you shouldn't be or you're doing something yeah. that doesn't look safe is like call it straight away you know well, we have an Amazon affiliate link what shoes are those so I can put them <laughs> well, it's not, it's just not these kidding ones. They're <laughs> yeah they're next, they're next yeah. door but I can show you them. Um, so along the way building BrewDog you guys have built a strong reputation for doing some pretty crazy stuff yeah for sure like Obviously, a lot of people here in the U.S. know the BrewDogs TV show, and yeah. but but you you guys have done a lot of things like driving a tank down the streets yeah. of London. You brewed the strongest beer in the world and sold it out of a taxidermied squirrel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've Which done a lot of what I was going to say is one, we don't have many regrets, but one of our regrets was when we were in Edinburgh that you had like one of the highest ABVs in the world, I think, at the time, and we didn't try it. I don't know why we did not. However, no, so yes, fun, go yeah. ahead with your thing because that's what you're getting me to talk no, about. So is like, that how did you guys come it? up with that? Those ideas. Those ideas yeah. and that yeah, strategy yeah. of doing really off the wall stuff. Uh, and, and Please don't it, tell us it's a marketing agency that told you that. No, 100% not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of them would say don't. It goes, <laughs> you know, it goes, it goes back, I guess, to your earlier point about you know where that punk ethos or whatever came yeah. from. Mm-hmm. And so where we were in, in the northeast of Scotland was we were trying to sell beers that weren't there ever before, probably shouldn't be there. And it was a struggle to be honest. We were we were we had some great ideas though. We had the idea that if you sell a case of beers either a twelve or a twenty four, we thought, well what about if a case was forty eight bottles? Uh so that if you sold one case you you buy a case and like, yeah. As if I mean you turn up with like 40 is like, this is a case. <laughs> so you do- <laughs> instantly double your sales, right? Um, the, bad, the bad thing with that was they were so fucking heavy. <laughs> they would like <laughs> fold in the middle as you're trying to lift them up. 
So that was a. So you guys actually did that we, back then. We did that. Our first I cases. <laughs> we, we ended up with like a thousand of these cases because that was our initial order of cases. Were like cases of forty. Cases. So somebody ordered cases of forty-eight. So retailers are ordering a case of several, however many cases, and thinking they're getting twenty-four per case, and you show up with twice as much beer, and they're like. What the hell am I going to do with that? Well, the problem was they couldn't even get it into their place because they <laughs> folded didn't before they got it. There. Um, but yeah, that was like that was that didn't work as a great idea, um, and it it was weird because we had like a couple of bars, maybe ten bars in that northeast of Scotland that you know that would take our beers and like you go into Aberdeen in two thousand and seven uh, down by the harbour. It's a great bar. Uh, it's not there anymore. It's called something else, but it was it was called the Moorings, right? So it was right right on the harbour, and it gone through like many stages of regeneration over the years, being like a right on the dock. You can imagine what it's been in its past, but at one point it was like a dive bar, but focused on beer. Um, so you know you could go there and get pints on cask of our um, you know ten percent. Imperial stout aged in a Isla whiskey cask. So it was like smoky, full on madness. Ten percent beer by the pint Ooh. in in this bar in Aberdeen. That was like something that's you know never been a thing ever. But it was like one of the most incredible like flavor beers mm. in a format that should never be available to anyone <laughs> but it was, it was so yeah. much fun so like there were guys there were, there were people that were like cool whatever you've got we'll do it the majority were like we don't know what this is we don't want it so right. I, I mean and, uh, you know I, I guess I had the technical background James was the sales or had to become the salesman <laughs> um, so he's like shit how do we sell our beer in this area uh, and that's where you know the, I guess, genesis of some of these ideas of okay. how we make beer uh, underwater or make the strongest beer in the world or um, you know drive a tank through Camden to open our bar in Camden. <laughs> um, and it's just about for us, it was about doing something that's fun, exciting, and different, but. It's that conversation piece that might be picked up in a local newspaper or yeah. people in the bar, and you know they're saying, "Shit, have you tried this beer? That's eighteen percent, right? Eighteen. It's like Tokyo original Tokyo. Actually, original Tokyo was twelve percent. It was a twelve percent imperial stout, uh, three thirty ml bottle, aged with jasmine cranberry, uh, dry hopped and aged on mm. oak chips or oak chips and then dry hopped at the very last stage with cascade." Um, and that was like fifteen pounds a bottle. It's most expensive, probably most expensive beer ever sold in the UK. But it was like divisive because it was twelve percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. So like some of the media stuff was saying this is so irresponsible, and we're saying, well, actually, it's not irresponsible. You try drinking a bottle of that, or which you know, which poor guy in the street homeless guy is drinking this it's like 50, it's like the same price as a bottle of champagne no no right. no one's abusing this right. you're, you're you're buying this beer and you're sharing it with a couple of friends because it's so flavor intensive it's 
so strong it's like you're not you're not just drinking that by the bottle it's and like that, buying like, a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or something yeah. you don't you're not going to buy a bottle of whiskey and just down it yourself you, i mean most people aren't you know, yeah, unless it's a thursday but yeah, for <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah it's exactly that and it was like a conversation starter and it was all about actually how do we reframe beer in a different way in a way where it's all about flavor it's all about the process it's all about the craftsmanship that goes into it and you know it's that was a starting point and it's like okay well how far can we kind of go with mm. this so the backlash we got from Tokyo then the I guess the counter beer to that was Nanny State okay so it was right. originally a beer that was um, 1.2% alcohol I think the original Nanny State brew which is like how, how much flavour can we load into the lowest ABV beer we right. can make and it was Nanny State and then eventually so so I guess Tokyo got higher in strength and Nanny State got lower in strength. <laughs> but they both were elevated in terms of flavour. Um, and it was like these little, I don't know, like competitions that you set yourself for, whatever, David and Goliath things that you would set with, uh, whether it was Diageo or someone, you know. You always, you always try to find, I guess, someone to have a little bit of a reason to try and better them or to try and do something different. Right. It's the, the prime, I guess the best examples, uh, Schorschbrau, the guys in Germany who had the strongest beer in the world. Okay, mm-hmm. so they, they, they held that title and were like, okay, we'll make Tactical Nuclear Penguin. So we made Tactical Nuclear Penguin and then they made Schorschbrau 30% and then we made... Uh, yeah, you guys one after we, we, we made uh, Sink the Bismarck at, yeah. you know, whatever, 41%, then they made their Schorschbrau 50%. And we made end the history at fifty five percent, and then eventually they made one higher, and then we made one together uh, a year or so ago to mm-hmm. as, as the kind mm-hmm. of completion right. to that series. Um, but it was, it's it's so much fun, and, and it's that you know talking piece, and it's like why you know why can't beer be whatever your imagination wants it to be? I like that. It's cool. So what's next? I mean, what's next at the <laughs> moment is um, you know. A few things from the, I mean, from the beer front, and bar front. You know, we've got some huge openings this year with Waterloo, uh, which is in the station in London. So that's that's our biggest bar that we've ever opened. In a few weeks' time, or uh, you know, a month and a half time, we'll have Las Vegas, which is, I mean, what, you know, that, that's an interesting one to me because I, Vegas is such a destination. Yeah. Like for people around the United States but around the world and like you guys are going really big there and yeah. uh, you're going to be highly noticeable with the with the look of the outside so I'm like it'll be interesting to see what that does because I mean I imagine that's going to be an explosion for the brand across the United States I mean yeah I mean that, that, that's our hope for sure like I, I got married in Las Vegas uh, in 2013 did you do a drive through chapel? Yeah, I was like... <laughs> Wait, you did a drive through chapel? I mean, I met the girl the night before, and then we'll go... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> uh, it was... Um, uh, my wife and I are both from... I mean, I've got a brother, she's got two sisters, and everyone was married in our family before. I was like, fine, we'll just go out and do our own thing. So we went out to... We've been together forever. I think. Yeah. <laughs> we went out to Vegas in 2013 with a couple of friends, and flew out to the uh, Grand Canyon, got married there and came back and 
mucked about for a week in the back of that, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I guess from my perspective, Vegas is a kind of special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, that I mean, the site there is phenomenal. You know, that's yeah. like a game changer for mm-hmm. us again. You know, it's like it's like you know what's driving a tank up Camden in London. It's like mm-hmm. a Brewdog bar right on the strip in Las Vegas. It's just you know that that's like next level. Before we leave, why is James not here? We heard he was on an accident in mountain biking, and like our podcast is also about like adventure and mountain biking. So like, okay, well maybe you should give him some lessons on how to. Ride <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I heard a rumor that maybe he was like mountain biking on some kind of an event that he broke his clavicle. Yep. Is that correct? That is correct. And now he's That's like stuck. He, he was taking the tour of a mountain biking event, and uh, damn it, James, and came a cropper. <laughs> Coming down yeah. the but like, thankfully, he fell left instead of right. He fell left and like landed on his head and his <laughs> collarbone. If he'd fallen right, you'd have gone off the cliff. But he was falling off the cliff. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely lucky. Yes, okay, land on we'll, your head. We'll take the bro- broken collarbones. <laughs> yeah. the preferred option for sure. So well, it's too bad he's not here. Um, he's missing out on AGM. 2022. First yeah. AGM he's ever missed, to be honest. Wow. Of all the AGMs we've done. Actually, when was the first one? I think it was like I should know that nine or ten, but it was in in, in Aberdeen, right? Okay. So it was it was like a really a really weird setup. So we had like maybe a hundred people, I think, ah. maybe a hundred and twenty. But it went from so James was in he had a restaurant in Aberdeen at that time called Musa. So he was there doing the business talk. I was in our first bar in Aberdeen doing like some kind of weird shit it was like beer and music where everyone was like blindfolded and listening to music and tasting beer Cool. and then uh, Stuart Bowman who was our sort of head brewer at that point was in the brewery in Fraserburgh doing the brewery tour and, and then everyone was like bust Right, so it was like oh, three, wow. there was three groups and they got bust between <laughs> each one it was like it was really strange mm. but fun uh, <laughs> so that, that was the first one uh, and then yeah I mean, uh, it's it's changed a lot since yes. then. and when was the first one in the US uh, tw- 20 I want to say 2017 I wasn't at the first one okay. because 17 or 16 it could have been 16 actually I think mm, it was 16, 16 because it was before 17. the brewery was fully open okay, um, okay. and I was in the in the UK we were doing 2016 because my um, daughter had just been born. That's why okay. I missed it. Ah, so that cool. was happening. I mean, it's like typical history lessons. You have to know the freaking dates. Nothing about what's going <laughs> on, but you need to memorize those damn dates. No. Yeah, I know. I'm not good at that either. <laughs> no, so. no, no, not at us at all. <laughs> all well, right. And speaking of AGM, we've probably taken up enough of your time today. we got to get you back out to You need to go party. Drink with some more EPs out there. Yeah, there's definitely. A, there's we need a hundred, to drink some. hundred and some. Yeah, beers there's a lot of beers out there to try, and I think you said you only got through a handful of them, so you got like ninety some to go. Ninety some to go, and, and <laughs> four, fourteen of them are from Nano Dog Nick, and I think the average oh ABV is like ten percent or something. Uh, good luck. Have <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys tried some last yeah, night? So yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You need so, a lot of luck. Um, do you have beer in that? Yeah. Okay, beer, good. Yeah. So, because we need to do cheers. Cheers to. Okay. Oh my god. I don't know. Cheers to coming. You've been in the U.S. for a while, but still, we're like, we're grateful. We 
we're grateful that we also got to experience BrewDog in Scotland. And they, yeah, we're grateful wow. that you took the time to talk okay. to well, us. BrewDog's coming to our home base in Denver. So. I'll, yeah. it was on record. <laughs> Yeah, it was on the screen. It outside. was on the screen outside. <laughs> 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 thanks for your time today. It was like great to <laughs> thanks for your time thank today. You. And thank bore you so with uh, the story. No, I'm not no, boring you. No, not at all. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs> cool. Thank awesome. you. Can I ask a very weird question? Can we take? Would you take our picture of the three of us in the shower? <laughs> in the shower? <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. First, you need to get permission from all involved to be in the shower together. Well, I know he. <laughs> can I? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, we really did take a picture with Martin in the shower. Well, it's... Uh, April's kind of whack. She was feeling her inner hippie chick, I guess, that day or something. And, We're like, if you want to see the picture, in... go to the website, check it out. It's on the website with the podcast. We're at the doghouse. So, and the doghouse has the shower. And the shower has the shower beer. So, like, punk, man. Not inner hippie chick. Not on this one. It's punk oh, attitude. Oh, inner punk chick. Yes. Inner so, punker chick. You're going like full on Ramones. Nice. So you take the picture <laughs> in the shower. Where else do you get shower beer? Like literally it's in the shower. So I'm changing the <laughs> subject right now. Speaking of mountain bike crashes because we were talking about I, mountain bike crashes. You got to bring up the mountain bike crashes. Kenny fell, if you guys don't recall, had a mountain bike crash. Fell head, not fell, but like went over the handlebars, did like a nice little flip. I don't know. I didn't see it. But anyhow, Kenny, how's your shoulder doing from that? Well, right now, yeah. it's doing quite well because I'm self-medicating with this Christmas beer. <laughs> we did say we are going to talk <laughs> about Christmas beers. Then we should fucking talk about Christmas beers. Ho, 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 bitches. <laughs> what um, Christmas beer are you drinking? What Christmas beer are we drinking? This is actually Anchor's Christmas beer. Which they've been doing for a don't remember exactly, but it's right around forty years that they've been making this their Christmas beer. But every single year, Anchor changes the recipe a little bit, and they've been doing that for forty years. It's always generally from year to year, it's kind of similar, but there are some cool, subtle changes and stuff, and. Another kind of interesting thing is they always change the label on the bottle every year, too. They, like, hire a, a, an artist to do a new label every year, and it's always been some kind of, like, cool tree-themed thing. For those that don't know, what kind of beer is it? Damn it. You really had to throw me into the bus like that? Because this is a really hard beer to nail down. It's kind of a... Uh, so it's a holiday beer, Christmas ale. So it falls into that winter warmer kind of category, I would say. But it, it's a really hard one to nail down because they won't tell you exactly how they make this beer every year. That's their super secret recipe every year because, you know, they want to... They there's That's the thing about this beer is there's a mystique around it. And so obviously you want it because there's mystique around it. And... It's kind of a, I would say this one is kind of a dark brown beer and it's got a lot of like piney, sprucey kind of flavor to it. Does it also have, to me, I can taste some sort of a, like a molasses kind of, like a sweetness in there? There is some kind of sweetness in it. I'm not sure if it's molasses or okay. not. I mean, but yeah, you're, I think you're going down the right track that molasses, dark brown, whatever, dark brown sugar, um, but yeah, that's probably a little bit too much sensory overload for audio. 
I was asking about molasses too, though, because it kind of not quite, but it kind of has a similar, and I suppose that's the winter warmer kind of Christmas beer. Mm -hmm. What else do you want to call all the Christmas beers, holiday beers? What I was trying to say is that molasses made me think of a winter warmer beer that we brewed. That turned out quite nice. This this one's a little better than what we brewed, but I actually am very happy with what we brewed. Duh. I mean, of course, but it is, we are happy with what we (laughs) brewed, but it's Anchor. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got um, several levels of expertise on yeah. me. <laughs> but we brewed a winter warmer, and it was really, um, turned out pretty good. And then I know you can't get our winter warmer unless you're hanging out with us. So if you happen to be in Denver before Christmas, you know, we can give that to you. But there are also a lot of other Christmas beers out there. Like, what are some other popular ones? Maybe for those who don't know Christmas beers. Mm. Like Deschutes? So, oh, go ahead. Deschutes Jubilee. Yeah, that's one. That's one I would say. And like this year, we actually um, not too long ago picked up some Jubilee that had like a cherry version of it that was really good. Um, But there, there's like a lot of the cool thing with winter, the winter holiday Christmas style beers is they can really touch all over the board. Sierra Nevada does a very good Christmas time beer called Celebration Ale, which is a fresh hop beer. So it's when when you think fresh hop, you think IPA, but it's really kind of more in that. I'd almost say it kind of like a hoppy barley wine kind of flavor to it, although it's not quite mm-hmm. that big as most barley wines as far as ABV goes and stuff. But it's like that's a really, um, really good Christmas type beer. Most craft There's a lot you of good ones out there. go to right now are going to have like a winter warmer or kind of the higher ABV beers or something that just gets you all warm and cozy inside because tis the season. Tis the season. So if you want to find something different, um, yeah, that's what you can do too. Actually, though, if you're looking for some last minute gifts that don't, you know, can't ship, go to Mm -hmm. your local craft brewery and see what they have to go or if they have any special beers or if there's even a really good, it has to be a really good liquor store don't take away business from the craft breweries man but if it's really good local liquor store that you have and they have like really good sourcing those are some great ways to get some really good beers for last minute christmas gifts yeah you can find some really cool stuff at the liquor stores like like you might depending on where you're at you might be able to get like prairie artisan ales like their christmas bomb is a really cool christmas stout thing And, and there's a lot of different ones like that out there um and shameless plug we have a an article on our website about Christmas beers that you could go there and look for, get some ideas and stuff to, for things to look for at your local liquor store. But, but do go to the local breweries because even if they don't have like cans already made and stuff, a lot of them you get, you guys probably know do crawlers and things like that. So you can get stuff to go even if they don't prepackage it. Kenny didn't finish the same shameless plug. Oh, sorry. It will be, it will be in the show notes. Oh, sorry. In the show notes, we will be talking all about Christmas beer, and you can click right through our show notes into the Christmas beer article and learn all about Christmas beers. Yes. And on that note, maybe we <laughs> Did should... that sound professional? No. <laughs> no? Okay. I, I'm rarely accused of sounding professional, so <laughs> it fits. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe um, we should kind of wish you all adieu and happy new year and feliz cumpleaños and happy holidays and all the things because this is our last podcast of 2022 
Yeah, it is. It we is. Do. But we'll have it some is. fun stuff we coming have, up for you. We have we big some plans. some surprises in the works. We have big plans for 2023. Y'all just wait and see. You better tell your friends so you don't miss out. Are y'all ready for your own AGM? Because it's Christmas, dude, and every <laughs> single Christmas party is generally annual general mayhem. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whether you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, Christmas, New Year's, whatever, yeah. Enjoy your mayhem. Yeah. Oh, cheers to the mayhem. As long as it's good mayhem. Yes. Keep it good. Oh, wait. What's the commercial I'm thinking of with the mayhem? Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, what's, we don't like that kind of it's mayhem. It's the insurance. It's the insurance guy. <laughs> we it's don't hilarious. like the insurance kind of mayhem. I don't like mayhem. anything that involves insurance. Mayhem. Okay, cheers to good mayhem. Cheers to good mayhem. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And all the things. Oh, uh, yeah. May you have all the beers you've ever dreamed of. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.